Book Six, Chapter Three of the Brothers Karamazov. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Martin Giessen. The Brothers Karamazov by Fyodor Dostoevsky, translated by Constance Garnett. Book Six, Chapter Three. Conversations and Exhortations of Father Zosima Section E. The Russian Monk and His Possible Significance Fathers and teachers, what is the monk? In the cultivated world, the word is nowadays pronounced by some people with a jeer, and by others it is used as a term of abuse, and this contempt for the monk is growing. It is true, alas, it is true, that there are many sluggards, gluttons, profligates, and insolent beggars among monks. Educated people point to these. You are idlers, useless members of society. You live on the labour of others. You are shameless beggars. And yet how many meek and humble monks there are, yearning for solitude and fervent prayer in peace. These are less noticed, or passed over in silence. And how surprised men would be if I were to say that from these meek monks, who yearn for solitary prayer, the salvation of Russia will come perhaps once more. For they are in truth made ready in peace and quiet, for the day and the hour, the month and the year. Meanwhile, in their solitude, they keep the image of Christ fair and undefiled in the purity of God's truth, from the times of the fathers of old, the apostles and the martyrs, and when the time comes they will show it to the tottering creeds of the world. That is a great thought. That star will rise out of the east. That is my view of the monk. And is it false? Is it too proud? Look at the worldly, and all who set themselves up above the people of God. Has not God's image and his truth been distorted in them? They have science, but in science there is nothing but what is the object of sense. The spiritual world, the higher part of man's being, is rejected altogether, dismissed with a sort of triumph, even with hatred. The world has proclaimed the reign of freedom, especially of late, but what do we see in this freedom of theirs? Nothing but slavery and self-destruction. You have desires, and so satisfy them, for you have the same rights as the most rich and powerful. Don't be afraid of satisfying them, and even multiply your desires. That is the modern doctrine of the world, in that they see freedom. And what follows from this right of multiplication of desires? In the rich, isolation and spiritual suicide. In the poor, envy and murder. For they have been given rights, but have not been shown the means of satisfying their wants. They maintain that the world is getting more and more united, more and more bound together in brotherly community, as it overcomes distance and sets thoughts flying through the air. Alas, put no faith in such a bond of union. 
interpreting freedom as the multiplication and rapid satisfaction of desires, men distort their own nature. For many senseless and foolish desires and habits and ridiculous fancies are fostered in them. They live only for mutual envy, for luxury and ostentation. To have dinners, visits, carriages, rank, and slaves to wait on one is looked upon as a necessity, for which life, honour, and human feeling are sacrificed, and men even commit suicide if they are unable to satisfy it. We see the same thing among those who are not rich, while the poor drown their unsatisfied need and their envy in drunkenness. But soon they will drink blood instead of wine, they are being led on to it. I ask you, is such a man free? I knew one champion of freedom who told me himself that when he was deprived of tobacco in prison, he was so wretched at the privation that he almost went and betrayed his cause for the sake of getting tobacco again. And such a man says, I am fighting for the cause of humanity. How can such a one fight? What is he fit for? He is capable, perhaps, of some action quickly over but he cannot hold out long. And it's no wonder that instead of gaining freedom they have sunk into slavery, and instead of serving the cause of brotherly love and the union of humanity, have fallen, on the contrary, into dissension and isolation, as my mysterious visitor and teacher said to me in my youth. And therefore the idea of the service of humanity, of brotherly love and the solidarity of mankind, is more and more dying out in the world, and indeed this idea is sometimes treated with derision. For how can a man shake off his habits? What can become of him if he is in such bondage to the habit of satisfying the innumerable desires he has created for himself? He is isolated, and what concern has he with the rest of humanity? They have succeeded in accumulating a greater mass of objects but the joy in the world has grown less. The monastic way is very different. Obedience, fasting and prayer are laughed at, yet only through them lies the way to real, true freedom. I cut off my superfluous and unnecessary desires, I subdue my proud and wanton will, and chastise it with obedience, and with God's help I attain freedom of spirit, and with it spiritual joy. Which is most capable of conceiving a great idea and serving it, the rich in his isolation, or the man who has freed himself from the tyranny of material things and habits? The monk is reproached for his solitude. You have secluded yourself within the walls of the monastery for your own salvation, and have forgotten the brotherly service of humanity. But we shall see which will be the most zealous in the cause of brotherly love. For it is not we, but they, who are in isolation, though they don't see that. Of old, leaders of the people came from among us, and why should they not again? The same meek and humble ascetics will rise up and go out to work for the great cause. The salvation of Russia comes from the people, and the Russian monk has always been on the side of the people. We are isolated only if the people are isolated. The people believe, as we do, and an unbelieving reformer will never do anything in Russia, 
even if he is sincere in heart and a genius. Remember that. The people will meet the atheist and overcome him, and Russia will be one and orthodox. Take care of the peasant and guard his heart. Go on educating him quietly. That's your duty as monks, for the peasant has God in his heart. Section F of Masters and Servants, and of whether it is possible for them to be brothers in the Spirit. Of course I don't deny that there is sin in the peasants too, and the fire of corruption is spreading visibly, hourly, working from above downwards. The spirit of isolation is coming upon the people too. Money-lenders and devourers of the commune are rising up, Already the merchant grows more and more eager for rank, and strives to show himself cultured, though he has not a trace of culture, and to this end meanly despises his old traditions, and is even ashamed of the faith of his fathers. He visits princes, though he is only a peasant corrupted. The peasants are rotting in drunkenness, and cannot shake off the habit. And what cruelty to their wives, to their children even! all from drunkenness. I've seen in the factories children of nine years old, frail, rickety, bent and already depraved. The stuffy workshop, the din of machinery, work all day long, the vile language and the drink, the drink. Is that what a little child's heart needs? He needs sunshine, childish play, good examples all about him, and at least a little love. There must be no more of this, monks, no more torturing of children. Rise up and preach that. Make haste, make haste. But God will save Russia, for though the peasants are corrupted and cannot renounce their filthy sin, yet they know it is cursed by God, and that they do wrong in sinning, so that our people will believe in righteousness, have faith in God, and weep tears of devotion. It is different with the upper classes. They, following science, want to base justice on reason alone, but not with Christ as before. And they have already proclaimed that there is no crime, that there is no sin. And that's consistent, for if you have no God, what is the meaning of crime? In Europe the people are already rising up against the rich with violence, and the leaders of the people are everywhere leading them to bloodshed, and teaching them that their wrath is righteous. But their wrath is accursed, for it is cruel. But God will save Russia as he has saved her many times. Salvation will come from the people, from their faith and their meekness. Fathers and teachers, watch over the people's faith, and this will not be a dream. I've been struck all my life in our great people by their dignity, their true and seemly dignity. I've seen it myself. I can testify to it. I've seen it and marvelled at it. I've seen it in spite of the degraded sins and the poverty-stricken appearance of our peasantry. They are not servile and even after two centuries of serfdom they are free in manner and bearing, yet without insolence, and not revengeful and not envious. You are rich and noble, you are clever and talented, well, be so, God bless you. 
I respect you, but I know that I too am a man. By the very fact that I respect you without envy, I prove my dignity as a man. In truth, if they don't say this, for they don't know how to say this yet, that is how they act. I have seen it myself. I have known it myself, and would you believe it, the poorer our Russian peasant is, the more noticeable is that serene goodness, for the rich among them are for the most part corrupted already, and much of that is due to our carelessness and indifference. But God will save his people, for Russia is great in her humility. I dream of seeing, and seem to see clearly already, our future. It will come to pass that even the most corrupt of our rich will end by being ashamed of his riches before the poor, and the poor, seeing his humility, will understand and give way before him, will respond joyfully and kindly to his honourable shame. Believe me that it will end in that. Things are moving to that. Equality is to be found only in the spiritual dignity of man and that will only be understood among us. If we were brothers there would be fraternity, but before that they will never agree about the division of wealth. We preserve the image of Christ, and it will shine forth like a precious diamond to the whole world. So may it be, so may it be. Fathers and teachers, a touching incident befell me once. In my wanderings I met in the town of K. my old orderly, Afanasi. It was eight years since I had parted from him. He chanced to see me in the market-place, recognised me, ran up to me, and how delighted he was! He simply pounced on me. "'Master, dear, is it you? Is it really you? I see!' He took me home with him. He was no longer in the army. He was married and already had two little children. He and his wife earned their living as costermongers in the market-place. His room was poor, but bright and clean. He made me sit down, set the samovar, sent for his wife as though my appearance were a festival for them. He brought me his children. Bless them, father. Is it for me to bless them? I am only a humble monk. I will pray for them. And for you, Afanasy Pavlovitch, I have prayed every day since that day, for it all came from you, said I, and I explained that to him as well as I could. And what do you think? The man kept gazing at me, and could not believe that I, his former master, an officer, was now before him in such a guise and position. It made him shed tears. Why are you weeping? said I. Better rejoice over me, dear friend, whom I can never forget, for my path is a glad and joyful one. He did not say much, but kept sighing and shaking his head over me tenderly. What has become of your fortune? he asked. I gave it to the monastery, I answered. We live in common. After tea I began saying good-bye, and suddenly he brought out half a rouble as an offering to the monastery and another half-rouble I saw him thrusting hurriedly into my hand. That's for you in your wanderings. It may be of use to you, father. I took his half-rouble, bowed to him and his wife, and went out rejoicing. And on my way I thought, Here we are both now, he at home and I on the road, sighing and shaking our heads, no doubt, 
and yet smiling joyfully in the gladness of our hearts, remembering how God brought about our meeting. I have never seen him again since then. I had been his master, and he my servant, but now when we exchanged a loving kiss with softened hearts, there was a great human bond between us. I have thought a great deal about that, and now what I think is this. Is it so inconceivable that that grand and simple-hearted unity might in due time become universal among the Russian people? I believe that it will come to pass, and that the time is at hand. And of servants I will add this. In old days, when I was young, I was often angry with servants. The cook had served something too hot, the orderly had not brushed my clothes. But what taught me better then was a thought of my dear brother's, which I had heard from him in childhood. Am I worth it that another should serve me and be ordered about by me in his poverty and ignorance? And I wondered at the time that such simple and self-evident ideas should be so slow to occur to our minds. It is impossible that there should be no servants in the world, but act so that your servant may be freer in spirit than if he were not a servant. And why cannot I be a servant to my servant, and even let him see it, and that without any pride on my part, or any mistrust on his? Why should not my servant be like my own kindred, so that I may take him into my family, and rejoice in doing so? Even now this can be done, but it will lead to the grand unity of men in the future, when a man will not seek servants for himself, or desire to turn his fellow-creatures into servants as he does now, but on the contrary, will long with his whole heart to be the servant of all, as the gospel teaches. And can it be a dream that in the end man will find his joy only in deeds of light and mercy, and not in cruel pleasures as now, in gluttony, fornication, ostentation, boasting and envious rivalry of one with the other. I firmly believe that it is not, and that the time is at hand. People laugh and ask, when will that time come, and does it look like coming? I believe that with Christ's help we shall accomplish this great thing and how many ideas there have been on earth in the history of man, which were unthinkable ten years before they appeared. Yet when their destined hour had come, they came forth and spread over the whole earth. So it will be with us, and our people will shine forth in the world, and all men will say, The stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone of the building." and we may ask the scornful themselves, if our hope is a dream, when will you build up your edifice and order things justly, by your intellect alone, without Christ? If they declare that it is they who are advancing towards unity, only the most simple-hearted among them believe it, so that one may positively marvel at such simplicity. Of a truth they have more fantastic dreams than we. They aim at justice, but denying Christ, they will end by flooding the earth with blood, for blood cries out for blood, and he that taketh up the sword shall perish by the sword. And if it were not for Christ's covenant, they would slaughter one another down to the last two men on earth, 
and those last two men would not be able to restrain each other in their pride, and the one would slay the other, and then himself. And that would come to pass were it not for the promise of Christ, that for the sake of the humble and meek the days shall be shortened. While I was still wearing an officer's uniform after my duel, I talked about servants in general society, and I remember every one was amazed at me. What? they asked. Are we to make our servants sit down on the sofa and offer them tea? And I answered them, Why not? Sometimes at least. Every one laughed. Their question was frivolous, and my answer was not clear, but the thought in it was to some extent right. Section G of Prayer, of Love, and of Contact with Other Worlds Young man, be not forgetful of prayer. Every time you pray, if your prayer is sincere, there will be new feeling and new meaning in it, which will give you fresh courage, and you will understand that prayer is an education. Remember too every day, and whenever you can, repeat to yourself, Lord, have mercy on all who appear before thee today. For every hour and every moment thousands of men leave life on this earth, and their souls appear before God. And how many of them depart in solitude, unknown, sad, dejected, that no one mourns for them, or even knows whether they have lived or not? And behold, from the other end of the earth, perhaps, your prayer for their rest will rise up to God, though you knew them not, nor they you. How touching it must be, to a soul standing in dread before the Lord, to feel at that instant that for him too there is one to pray, that there is a fellow-creature left on earth to love him too, and God will look on you both more graciously. For if you have had so much pity on him, how much will he have pity who is infinitely more loving and merciful than you? And he will forgive him for your sake. Brothers, have no fear of men's sin. Love a man even in his sin, for that is the semblance of divine love, and is the highest love on earth. Love all God's creation, the whole and every grain of sand in it. Love every leaf, every ray of God's light. Love the animals, love the plants, love everything. If you love everything, you will perceive the divine mystery in things. Once you perceive it, you will begin to comprehend it better every day, and you will come at last to love the whole world with an all-embracing love. Love the animals. God has given them the rudiments of thought and joy untroubled. Do not trouble it, do not harass them, don't deprive them of their happiness, don't work against God's intent. Man, do not pride yourself on superiority to the animals. They are without sin, and you, with your greatness, defile the earth by your appearance on it, and leave the traces of your foulness after you. Alas, it is true of almost every one of us. Love children especially, for they too are sinless like the angels. They live to soften and purify our hearts, and as it were to guide us. Woe to him who offends a child! Father Anfim taught me to love children. 
the kind silent man used often on our wanderings to spend the farthings given us on sweets and cakes for the children he could not pass by a child without emotion that's the nature of the man at some thoughts one stands perplexed especially at the sight of men's sin and wonders whether one should use force or humble love always decide to use humble love if you resolve on that once for all you may subdue the whole world loving humility is marvellously strong the strongest of all things and there is nothing else like it every day and every hour every minute walk round yourself and watch yourself and see that your image is a seemly one you pass by a little child you pass by spiteful with ugly words with wrathful heart you may not have noticed the child but he has seen you and your image unseemly and ignoble may remain in his defenceless heart you don't know it but you may have sown an evil seed in him and it may grow and all because you were not careful before the child because you did not foster in yourself a careful actively benevolent love brothers love is a teacher but one must know how to acquire it for it is hard to acquire it is dearly bought it is won slowly by long labour for we must love not only occasionally for a moment but forever everyone can love occasionally even the wicked can my brother asked the birds to forgive him that sounds senseless but it is right for all is like an ocean all is flowing and blending a touch in one place sets up movement at the other end of the earth it may be senseless to beg forgiveness of the birds but birds would be happier at your side a little happier anyway and children and all animals if you were nobler than you are now it's all like an ocean i tell you then you would pray to the birds too consumed by an all-embracing love in a sort of transport and pray that they too will forgive you your sin treasure this ecstasy however senseless it may seem to men my friends pray to god for gladness be glad as children as the birds of heaven and let not the sin of men confound you in your doings fear not that it will wear away your work and hinder its being accomplished do not say sin is mighty wickedness is mighty evil environment is mighty and we are lonely and helpless and evil environment is wearing us away and hindering our good work from being done fly from that dejection children there is only one means of salvation then take yourself and make yourself responsible for all men's sins that is the truth you know friends for as soon as you sincerely make yourself responsible for everything and all men you will see at once that it is really so and that you are to blame for everyone and for all things but throwing your own indolence and impotence on others you will end by sharing the pride of satan and murmuring against god of the pride of satan what i think is this it is hard for us on earth to comprehend it and therefore it is so easy to fall into error and to share it even imagining that we are doing something grand and fine 
indeed many of the strongest feelings and movements of our nature we cannot comprehend on earth. Let not that be a stumbling-block, and think not that it may serve as a justification to you for anything. For the Eternal Judge asks of you what you can comprehend, and not what you cannot. You will know that yourself hereafter, for you will behold all things truly then, and will not dispute them. On earth, indeed, we are, as it were, astray, and if it were not for the precious image of Christ before us, we should be undone and altogether lost, as was the human race before the flood. Much on earth is hidden from us, but to make up for that we have been given a precious mystic sense of our living bond with the other world, with the higher heavenly world and the roots of our thoughts and feelings are not here, but in other worlds. That is why the philosophers say that we cannot apprehend the reality of things on earth. God took seeds from different worlds, and sowed them on this earth, and his garden grew up, and everything came up that could come up. But what grows lives, and is alive only through the feeling of its contact with other mysterious worlds. If that feeling grows weak or is destroyed in you, the heavenly growth will die away in you. Then you will be indifferent to life and even grow to hate it. That's what I think. Section H. Can a man judge his fellow creatures? Faith to the End Remember particularly that you cannot be a judge of anyone. For no one can judge a criminal until he recognises that he is just such a criminal as the man standing before him, and that he is perhaps more than all men to blame for that crime. When he understands that, he will be able to be a judge. Though that sounds absurd, it is true. If I had been righteous myself, perhaps there would have been no criminal standing before me. If you can take upon yourself the crime of the criminal your heart is judging, take it at once, suffer for him yourself, and let him go without reproach. And even if the law itself makes you his judge, act in the same spirit so far as possible, for he will go away and condemn himself more bitterly than you have done. If after your kiss he goes away untouched, mocking at you, do not let that be a stumbling-block to you. It shows his time has not yet come, but it will come in due course, and if it come not, no matter. If not he, then another in his place will understand and suffer, and judge and condemn himself, and the truth will be fulfilled. Believe me, believe it without doubt, for in that lies all the hope and faith of the saints." Work without ceasing. If you remember in the night as you go to sleep, I have not done what I ought to have done. Rise up at once and do it. If the people around you are spiteful and callous and will not hear you, fall down before them and beg their forgiveness, for in truth you are to blame for their not wanting to hear you. And if you cannot speak to them in their bitterness, serve them in silence and in humility, never losing hope. 
if all men abandon you and even drive you away by force then when you are left alone fall on the earth and kiss it water it with your tears and it will bring forth fruit even though no one has seen or heard you in your solitude believe it to the end even if all men went astray and you were left the only one faithful bring your offering even then and praise god in your loneliness and if two of you are gathered together then there is a whole world a world of living love embrace each other tenderly and praise god for if only in you too his truth has been fulfilled if you sin yourself and grieve even unto death for your sins or for your sudden sin then rejoice for others rejoice for the righteous man rejoice that if you have sinned he is righteous and has not sinned if the evil doing of men moves you to indignation and overwhelming distress even to a desire for vengeance on the evil doers shun above all things that feeling Go at once and seek suffering for yourself, as though you yourself were guilty of that wrong. Accept that suffering, and bear it, and your heart will find comfort, and you will understand that you too are guilty, for you might have been a light to the evil doers, even as the one man sinless, and you are not a light to them. If you had been a light, you would have lightened the path for others too and the evil-doer might perhaps have been saved by your light from his sin. And even though your light was shining, yet you see men were not saved by it, hold firm and doubt not the power of the heavenly light. Believe that if they were not saved, they will be saved hereafter. And if they are not saved hereafter, then their sons will be saved, for your light will not die even when you are dead. The righteous man departs, but his light remains. Men are always saved after the death of the deliverer. Men reject their prophets and slay them, but they love their martyrs and honour those whom they have slain. You are working for the whole, or acting for the future. Seek no reward, for great is your reward on this earth. The spiritual joy which is only vouchsafed to the righteous man. Fear not the great nor the mighty, but be wise and ever serene. Know the measure, know the times, study that. When you are left alone, pray. Love to throw yourself on the earth and kiss it. Kiss the earth and love it with an unceasing, consuming love. Love all men, love everything. Seek that rapture and ecstasy. Water the earth with the tears of your joy and love those tears. Don't be ashamed of that ecstasy. Prize it, for it is a gift of God and a great one. It is not given to many, but only to the elect. Section I of Hell and Hell Fire A Mystic Reflection Fathers and Teachers I ponder, what is hell? I maintain that it is the suffering of being unable to love. Once, in infinite existence, immeasurable in time and space, a spiritual creature was given on his coming to earth the power of saying, I am, and I love. Once, only once, there was given him a moment of active, lifting love, and for that was earthly life given him. 
and with it times and seasons. And that happy creature rejected the priceless gift, prized it and loved it not, scorned it and remained callous. Such a one, having left the earth, sees Abraham's bosom, and talks with Abraham, as we are told in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, and beholds heaven, and can go up to the Lord. But that is just his torment, to rise up to the Lord without ever having loved, to be brought close to those who have loved, when he has despised their love. For he sees clearly, and says to himself, Now I have understanding. And though I now thirst to love, there will be nothing great, no sacrifice in my love, for my earthly life is over, and Abraham will not come even with a drop of living water, that is the gift of earthly active life, to cool the fiery thirst of spiritual love which burns in me now, though I despised it on earth. There is no more life for me, and will be no more time." Even though I would gladly give my life for others, it can never be, for that life is past which can be sacrificed for love, and now there is a gulf fixed between that life and this existence. They talk of hell-fire in the material sense. I don't go into that mystery, and I shun it. But I think if there were fire in material sense, they would be glad of it. For I imagine that in material agony their still greater spiritual agony would be forgotten for a moment. Moreover, that spiritual agony cannot be taken from them, for that suffering is not external but within them. And if it could be taken from them, I think it would be bitterer still for the unhappy creatures. For even if the righteous in paradise forgave them, beholding their torments, and called them up to heaven in their infinite love, they would only multiply their torments, for they would arouse in them still more keenly a flaming thirst for responsive, active and grateful love which is now impossible. In the timidity of my heart I imagine, however, that the very recognition of this impossibility would serve at last to console them. For accepting the love of the righteous, together with the impossibility of repaying it, by this submissiveness and the effect of this humility, they will attain at last, as it were, to a certain semblance of that active love which they scorned in life, to something like its outward expression. I am sorry, friends and brothers, that I cannot express this clearly. But woe to those who have slain themselves on earth! Woe to the suicides! I believe that there can be none more miserable than they, they tell us that it is a sin to pray for them, and outwardly the church, as it were, renounces them. But in my secret heart I believe that we may pray even for them. Love can never be an offence to Christ. For such as those I have prayed inwardly all my life, I confess it, fathers and teachers, and even now I pray for them every day. Oh, there are some who remain proud and fierce even in hell, in spite of their certain knowledge and contemplation of the absolute truth. There are some fearful ones who have given themselves over to Satan and his proud spirit entirely. For such hell is voluntary and ever-consuming. They are tortured by their own choice. For they have cursed themselves, cursing God and life. 
they live upon their vindictive pride like a starving man in the desert sucking blood out of his own body but they are never satisfied and they refuse forgiveness they curse god who calls them they cannot behold the living god without hatred and they cry out that the god of life should be annihilated that god should destroy himself and his own creation and they will burn in the fire of their own wrath for ever and yearn for death and annihilation but they will not attain to death here alexey fyodorovitch karamazov's manuscript ends i repeat it is incomplete and fragmentary biographical details for instance cover only father zosima's earliest youth of his teaching and opinions we find brought together sayings evidently uttered on very different occasions his utterances during the last few hours have not been kept separate from the rest but their general character can be gathered from what we have in alexey fyodorovitch's manuscript the elder's death came in the end quite unexpectedly for although those who were gathered about him that last evening realized that his death was approaching yet it was difficult to imagine that it would come so suddenly on the contrary his friends as i observed already seeing him that night apparently so cheerful and talkative were convinced that there was at least a temporary change for the better in his condition even five minutes before his death they said afterwards wonderingly it was impossible to foresee it he seemed suddenly to feel an acute pain in his chest he turned pale and pressed his hands to his heart all rose from their seats and hastened to him but though suffering he still looked at them with a smile sank slowly from his chair on to his knees then bowed his face to the ground stretched out his arms and as though in joyful ecstasy praying and kissing the ground quietly and joyfully gave up his soul to god the news of his death spread at once through the hermitage and reached the monastery the nearest friends of the deceased and those whose duty it was from their position began to lay out the corpse according to the ancient ritual and all the monks gathered together in the church and before dawn the news of the death reached the town by the morning all the town was talking of the event and crowds were flocking from the town to the monastery but this subject will be treated in the next book i will only add here that before a day had passed something happened so unexpected so strange upsetting and bewildering in its effect on the monks and the townspeople that after all these years that day of general suspense is still vividly remembered in the town end of book 6 end of part 2 of the brothers karamazov Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazelmere, Surrey.